Paris, the greatest city in France, and to some, the greatest city in the world. I've had the great opportunity to visit Paris three different times over a 15-year period, so I've got to see a lot of differences in it. Today, I wanted to talk a little bit about life as a Parisian and as a tourist. Let's cue that accordion. The first time I went to Paris was in 1998, so that was a very long time ago. And life was a very different place back then. So if we remember, uh, the internet was still a very new thing, and people used AOL to get online. It was dial-up, and very few, if nobody, had broadband and Wi-Fi didn't exist. Uh, because of that, things were a lot different. And I remember on the Eiffel Tower, <clears throat> it had a countdown to the number of days until the year 2000 but more about monuments later. I remember when I arrived at the airport at uh, Orly, which is where I uh, went in, uh, the first person I met was a woman wearing a black trench coat holding an umbrella. It was right when I exited the airport. And the first thing she said to me was, uh, in French, of course, you know, good day, coming or going, and enjoy your stay. And it was uh, it was really cool for me because you know, I think every culture has its stereotypes, and France certainly has one, especially to the Anglophone world. Um, both the United Kingdom and the U.S. have always had a, a pleasurable yet rocky relationship with France. Um, of course, with Normandy invasions and things of that nature, you know, the history of the United Kingdom, the history of England and the English language is based a lot on French. And that's why English is so odd in the way that it is, where we have so many Germanic terms from the Anglos and the Saxons being of Germanic origin and all the Franks that came in of French origin and Latin based that kind of melded together to create this language we call English. So we have base words that are German in origin and base words that are Latin or French in origin. So because of you know, taking over the land and then leaving the land and everything else, uh, there's that love-hate relationship with the French in the UK. Um, you know, in, in a, when I visited London for the first time, I remember talking to a doorman, and he said, uh, looks like rain today. It's always rain. I blame the Russians. We blame everything else in the French, so I figured I'll blame somebody else. And it was very funny at the time, but again, that's kind of the thing. Uh, the French are the people that everyone loves to hate. Uh, in the U.S., a lot of people uh, look back to World War II when... Uh, the Nazi, when Nazi Germany kind of overtook the majority of Europe, and then the Allied forces, with the help of the French resistance, helped to uh, move back Adolf Hitler and his team and then liberated France from the holds of Nazi Germany. And a lot of American people take all the credit for that and you know say that the, uh, the French are just surrendered and they're cowardly. But uh, all stereotypes aside, everybody, uh, Paris is the number one tourist destination in the entire world. Uh, everybody loves to see Paris, and uh, the French language is by far one of the most beautiful. And maybe that's just my opinion, but you know, for the place that gets the most visitors in the world, I think they must be doing something right. France is a nation that is rich in culture and art, uh, great food and cheese and wine. And all champagne is from Champagne, France. So, you know, you can't have real champagne if it's not French. Otherwise, it's, you know, sparkling wine. Uh, when we look at um, popular fashions and clothing items and things, we 
we love uh, Fashion Week, which sometimes takes place in Paris. And you know, we think of Paris as one of the great fashion meccas. So France in general is just one of these places that uh, everybody loves or they love to hate, and sometimes a combination of the two. Either way, French people have uh, a reputation of being a little arrogant and unfriendly to people that don't speak their own language. But there's such a rich history if we look at France and how it came to be who it is today. Um, and without spending too much time on its history, I, I do want to delve into some of the important things, like uh, 14th of July, 1789, when we had the storming of the Bastille. And that is you know, what started the French Revolution and helped them become the republic that they are today. Every year on the 14th of July is the French national holiday. Uh, the English-speaking world tends to label it as Bastille Day in commemoration of the storming of the Bastille prison, which at the time was mostly empty. It was more symbolic than actually liberating people. Um, but either way, then France became the republic that it is and uh, started growing to become how uh, we see it now. When uh, and you know the the whole nation itself is incredibly diverse. You know we have there are a lot of there's wine regions and there's uh, the Mediterranean Sea in the south and the ocean on the west and the English Channel on the north. So it's very different climates and there are so many different facets of the country. It's like visiting the United States. You can't just bulk everything together as one type of person or place. But I want to focus mostly on Paris because um, out of the entire country. Um, although I have visited a lot of it, uh, Paris is where I've spent the most time, bar none. And you know, like I mentioned before, when I arrived at Orly Airport, you know, the first person I met was incredibly friendly, which started off on the right foot, gave me a very good first impression of Paris. Now, as someone who speaks the French language, it's definitely easier for me than it would be for someone who does not. And I think that's the case anywhere one travels. So one of the things about American people, and myself being American, is that we love traveling, but only 13% of U.S. citizens are bilingual. And that means that we just don't typically learn more languages than English. So when we travel outside of the U.S., we tend to have a difficulty understanding each other and being understood. Even though a large portion of the world, especially in France, speak English and speak it well, um, there's no real reason for them to speak English because it's not their native language. It's not the language of commerce for them. Um, out of courtesy, they will a lot of the time speak English to people, especially in Paris and touristy areas where there are so many Anglophones there. Um, but again, Paris being the busiest and the most visited tourist place in the world, you know, there are people from every walk of life there. So um, it, it could, it's very easy to hear a conglomerate of languages. Um, also, in France's past, you know, much like the United Kingdom, they had a lot of other territories. So a lot of French territories in what is now the Caribbean and especially in Africa, when those countries gained their independence, a lot of those people migrated to France. So because of that, there's a large portion of uh, Muslim people, North Africans, a lot of Caribbean nationals. So you have a, a very big diversity there of what we typically just see as the regular white French people and then all of the Middle Eastern looking North African French people. Um, so very uh, distinct two dialects of French and accents that we see in lifestyles. But they've kind of come together to live. Now, 
that doesn't mean that they live in harmony. It's definitely a segregated community. And in the banlieue, all the, like the ghettos and the outside, you can definitely see that living. Um, a great movie um, called uh, La Haine or Hate uh, is an excellent portrayal of life in Paris for the poor. And that's definitely an issue that you'll see there, especially now with the uh, Syrian refugees with uh, uh, with IS or ISIL or ISIS, whatever you want to call it. There are a lot of displaced persons. Uh, the last time I was there, there were a lot of people from uh, Bosnia Herzegovina or from Kosovo that were there trying to um, get assistance and aid, and you know, they're just being refugees from their war-torn countries. Because Paris is such a huge tourist destination and everybody wants to be there, they have a good economy, it attracts a lot of people, a lot of immigrants. So you typically will have some problems like that. Um, because any larger city is very similar, a lot of visitors will think that it's a dirty city. Um, and yeah, there are homeless people, and yes, one will find some graffiti, but um, maybe I'm jaded because I love it there so much, but I've never really seen it as a, a dirty place by any means. But it definitely is full of culture, and it's very rich in uh, the things that one can do. So going back to my personal visits, you know, the first time I was there, um, Starbucks was not a popular thing, so you didn't see Starbucks in every corner. Um, you know, nobody really cared about uh, Macintosh computers. There were no iPhones. Uh, cell phones were just flip phones. So this is a very different time. And the Parisian lifestyle was one where people were more just laid back and uh, you, you sit around and you have your coffee and, and you live life. You see your touristy things and then that's that's the end of it. I remember at my hotel, there was a computer in the lobby and uh, you could swipe your credit card and connect to the dial-up internet and you paid X amount of francs per minute because this was prior to 2000 when the euro took over as the monetary unit. So again, life was very different. But I remember uh, doing the American thing and stopping at a McDonald's. If uh, you follow sports in 1998 was the World Cup and the World Cup was in Paris at the time. So although I didn't get to see a match live, I got to see a lot of supporters all over the city. And when I went into the McDonald's, there were five different lines. Each line had a little flag above the register. So you could go to the line that represented the language you spoke, which I found incredible. The French language line was the shortest, and the English speaking line was the longest, which I found quite humorous. But, you know, it was, it's just a, a testament, I guess, to the European lifestyle versus the US lifestyle, where in Paris at the time, World Cup, all of these people there, they knew that they needed to have people at the registers that could understand all of the visitors there for the World Cup. Um, much year, you know, many years later when I returned, that wasn't the case. They no longer had multiple registers, and that was fine. But you know, because of the World Cup, they did that. They kind of went that extra mile to make sure people were taken care of, and I, I think that's brilliant. Um, beyond that, you know, in, in the post '98, when I went back a couple years ago. You know, we're living in what's today's society, I guess. Everything's different. You know, you have the Apple Store. There's Starbucks in every corner, and everybody has their phones. We use Google Maps and Uber to get around. And it's incredibly easy to navigate. You get the Paris Pass, the, the Visitor Pass, and you go for five days, and you can use 
the the metro or the subway you can use the train you can use the buses and you can get literally anywhere you need to go and it's incredibly economic and their transportation system works and it works really well things are typically on time and they take you right to where you need to be or incredibly close to it um, for the rare occasions when you want to go somewhere that uh, a monument a little bit further like the Eiffel Tower, for example. Everybody wants to visit the Eiffel Tower. Um, unfortunately, there really isn't a metro stop really close to it. So you have to do about 10 minutes of walking, which isn't a big deal unless you've been walking around all day. So uh, I took an Uber home from the Eiffel Tower because it was easier, or back to the hotel. But again, you know, everything you want to do in Paris is very easily laid out, especially now that we have uh, all of our phones. You can download the Paris Metro app, and it gives you a map on your phone of all of the big tourist destinations. And you can see them all so you can plan out your trip and say, okay, well, I know for sure I want to see Le Socle-Cœur, and I want to see the Palais de Versailles, and I want to see Le Louvre, l'Arte Triomphe, and the Tour Eiffel. <clears throat> Excuse me. So it's very easy to plan your route, and uh, you know, it, it's, it's very convenient. And again, the public transit will take you everywhere and anywhere you need to be. Just outside of the city, which is kind of the last metro stop, takes you to uh, Puteaux and uh, Courbevoie, which are you know, just little cities right outside of Paris, which is neat uh, to kind of see a more realistic idea of a way of life for people. Um, although Paris is an incredibly busy city, uh, not everybody lives there. People commute just like anywhere else. So, you know, for a quick train ride or a bus ride, you have the opportunity to see, you know, life um, in the suburbs, I guess. And that's that's really fun to do as well. But when you're in the city, Paris is separate into uh, administrative regions called arrondissements, And they kind of go in a circle around the city. Um, and each one has its own distinctive flair to it. We can kind of think of it as boroughs in New York City. So they're numbered, and each one you know, kind of represents something. So the first district, or Ile de la Cité, is you know, where you're going to find the Eiffel Tower, for, or uh, the Louvre, for example. You know, um, <clears throat> That's right smack in the center. So you have the Hotel de Louvre, and then the Louvre Museum, where you can see La Jaconde, or Mona Lisa in English. Um, visit all the paintings, the, the sculptures, you know, and everything there is to do. <clears throat> um, I, it's very easy to Google or look online to find all the tourist attractions in Paris. And if you've never gone, uh, then I, I highly encourage you to go and see them. They're amazing. But for me, when I like to travel, um, I think it's important to see those touristy things. But I like to visit and embrace the culture and try to fit in as much as I can. In order to do that, <clears throat> I kind of study up and I see what the people do. And again, I speak French, so it's easy for me. Um, but, you know, when I start my day um, in London, I'll have a, a fry up or a proper English breakfast with, you know, your eggs and your uh, bacon and your blood sausage and your tomatoes and just the, the whole fry up. But in Paris, that's not what you're going to do. You will have a coffee and maybe a tea and the coffee might have some cream in it so you might do like a a latte or a cappuccino and you have uh, some bread you know a croissant or a chocolatine <clears throat> and you know a, a quick pastry and that starts your day 
and then you you know kind of go about now yes some people eat eggs and bacon for breakfast it's not like a, it's a pastry only society but breakfast is really just throw some carbs to get you your energy to start the day and then go um, throughout the day you can go anywhere to grab a quick bite you, you have your street vendors and everything else but you have cafes everywhere and outdoor seating is very abundant so you can sit outside or at least watch the street watch the people pass by and you can order your coffee when you get your coffee <clears throat> when you order coffee it's just going to be 60 milliliters of espresso which is coffee to all real coffee drinkers um, and then along with that you can order a snack if you want like you can get a chocolatine or a pan au chocolat which uh, gastronomically speaking food wise uh, it's the same thing, but there are two different names for it. It just kind of depends on who you are and from where you come. And even inside Paris, you'll hear both names. But it's basically uh, <clears throat> a croissant type of dough with chocolate in the middle. So they sell them in the United States a lot in coffee shops, and some Starbucks carry them, and they call them chocolate croissants here in the U.S., but they're not shaped in like a crescent, so they're not really a croissant. Um, but in France, it has two different names. It's either pain au chocolat, which just means bread with chocolate, or chocolatine, which is like little chocolate one. And depends, you know, each person will call it something different. Each cafe will call it something different. You just, uh, but they both all know both names. It just depends on what they want to call it. Either way, uh, coffee is a huge way of life. It's a, it's embedded into the culture. Coffee and wine are just amazing things that we have that you have to have every day. And you know, when you're in Paris, coffee is is the delight. You have to drink it. <clears throat> Aside from that, um, you know the food is amazing. They're, they have every different type of food you can imagine. There's American food, Hispanic food, uh, Middle Eastern food, uh, Asian food. It's just like anywhere else you go. The food's excellent, and uh, it's always worth a good shot to try it. Being a large city, you are going to find some food places uh, like the U.S. Uh, you would find a Subway or a McDonald's. Um, you'll find a Quick, which is a a Belgian fast food restaurant. You'll have a Prêt-à-Manger, which is a British um, fast food restaurant, and um, you know then you'll see just regular restu restaurants there, um, KFC and things uh, like that. But um, you know, follow your heart, <laughs> eat what you'd like. Just make sure you try some of the food because it is simply amazing. Um, another one of the things that uh, I always enjoy when I'm outside of North America. <clears throat> is um, Fanta Orange and Kit Kat. I mentioned in the Australia podcast that uh, Nestle makes Kit Kat outside the U.S., and France is no exception. So you get a Nestle Kit Kat in Paris. But you can also get an, uh, an Orangina, which they do sell in some specialty stores in the U.S., but Fanta Orange is just like Orangina outside of North America. So when you get a Fanta, it's not going to be that really bright fake orange colored bitter soda what you get is like a carbonated orange juice and by calling it a carbonated orange juice does it an injustice an injustice because it tastes amazing it, it's just very good and uh, if you're not able to visit a country that has that style of fanta i would highly recommend looking around your area 
for Orangina, so just Orangina. Um, and you can typically find that at a Cost Plus World Market, or again, a lot of uh, larger supermarkets will carry it. And uh, definitely worth a shot. Um, also, San Pellegrino will make a, a, variant, a variant of it. It's just the orange or a blood orange soda. Um, it's just it's a very unique taste and one that I quite enjoy. So again, I'll recommend trying that. Um, but the, but the food, of course, is a, is a main staple to all French families and French people. And like I mentioned before, the breakfast tends to be a little bit smaller, but you can little veg out on lunch. And then, of course, you have your dinner. Um, historically, in France, after dinner, you have dessert and a cup of coffee. And coffee should be had at every meal at the end of it. And at least that's what I believe, and a lot of Parisians believe that as well. But due to the faster-paced society and life moving more quickly, a lot of people have kind of gotten away from the coffee after every meal or having dessert. So uh, all the restaurants now in Paris, or at least most of them, uh, feature what they call Café Gourmand, which is uh, an amazing item where you get 60 mils of espresso, so like a double shot of espresso, and three miniature desserts. The first time I had this was at this restaurant called uh, Casa Corleone, and it was in Courbevoie, just outside Puto, which, uh, again, is just out, just outside the border of Paris. So it's that last uh, train stop. And it was an Italian restaurant. I had a, a spag bowl or a spaghetti bolognese. I had a, a spag bowl, and then I had an orangina to drink, and this uh, Café Gourmand was my dessert. So it was this cup of coffee or a double espresso, and it was a mini... Uh, creme brulee, or it was a, um, a cafe ca or a, um, a caramel custard, and there were uh, like many strawberries and a glaze. Um, I don't remember exactly what it was right now. I have a photo of it. I'll, I'll try to post on the website. But it was just three mini desserts. Other places you can get like a macaron, and you would have a cafe caramel or a creme caramel, or a panna cotta or a creme brulee. It's just three bite-sized desserts, one or two bites and that's it. But you get three of them, so you get this little variety. So you had this amazing meal, like I had a steak fleet, which is a nice steak with a rosemary on top, some um, french fries, and then on the side, or for dessert, I had this double espresso and these three mini desserts. And it was the best way to end the meal, to relax. So you sit out on the outside on the patio, the sidewalk, and you're eating your meal, you're sitting in Paris in the evening, watching the people walk by, the lights everywhere, eating this amazing food, and then having this awesome dessert afterwards, all while relaxing with a cup of coffee. It's just a, an incredibly relaxing feeling. I don't know how else to describe it. Um, aside from the food, Paris is an incredibly uh, pedestrian-friendly city, so you, there are sidewalks everywhere. Everything is close by, easy to walk to, and if you don't want to walk, you can take the public transit. If you don't take public transit, you can get an Uber. So it's very easy to navigate the city, and there's a little something for everyone. You can go down the, the Champs-Élysées, which is your main road throughout Paris, and there are tons of shops there. You can you know buy anything you need um, and everything you don't need. You can do your shopping at the high-end stores. You can grab a quick lunch get a coffee, you can buy takeaway coffee, you can go to the Nespresso boutique. I mean, there's anything and everything you can imagine is going to be on that road. 
so it's brilliant and very easy to navigate. Um, <clears throat> when you want to go through the more touristy things, again, easily accessible with public transit, you can go see the Moulin Rouge or the Red Windmill, uh, which is the red light district. Uh, I don't recommend that for minors. Um, it is very adult-oriented. It's very explicit. There are a lot of adult clubs, um, adult stores, and, you know, um, a lot of Europe is a very has a very different outlook on things than the United States. So a lot of people think the United States is very prudish in the way that we look at things, and a lot of people think Europe is much more progressive or open. Um, you know, nudity is not a big deal to French people. Um, so it's not seen as taboo or something that needs to be hidden. Uh, so, you know, you may see a billboard that has, uh, you know, exposed breasts on it, or you will see a sex club or a strip club uh, in broad daylight that has you know, explicit wording on it. And again, that's just a cultural difference uh, between here and there. But just outside of that red light district in Montmartre, you can go and see one of my favorite tourist destinations that uh, most Americans may not visit, but that's uh, the Café de Dumoulin, which is uh, the Two Windmills Café from the movie Amélie. And if you've never seen that, it's definitely worth a an hour and a half of your time. Uh, it's a great movie with Audrey Tautou and uh, Matthew Kasovitz. Um, <clears throat> and it's just a beautiful movie. Well, anyway, in that movie, the lead character, Amélie Poulain, works at this Café de Dumoulin, and they have it there with a picture from the movie. You can go in, get a coffee, whatever. Um, <clears throat> oddly enough, or maybe not oddly enough, as expected, it tends to be busy just because of the uh, destination, because it was in a movie, and the coffee's about a, a euro more there than anywhere else. And, you know, continuing on with the coffee topic, that's one of the things that I found most interesting is, you know, uh, on the same street, there can be 30 restaurants, and a, a cup of coffee will vary by three euros. Um, and I remember where I was staying most recent time I was there, uh, my hotel was right in the middle of the first arrondissement, and I was literally across the street from the Louvre Museum, which again is going to be a very expensive part of town, and I realized that. But the cafe directly across from my hotel... Um, a single cup of coffee or double espresso was about four euros. And then if I walked around the corner to the other restaurant, it was three euros. And then I went somewhere else and it was like two euros fifty. And then I ended up just going to Starbucks, which is not very good coffee. I think we can all agree that uh, just regular Starbucks coffee is very bitter. Um, but it was the cheapest coffee. It was like one and a half euros. For the espresso so you know it just it varied a lot um just depending on where you go um, with uh, the price differences you know there are always going to be people trying to sell you things on every corner and uh, people trying to sell you selfie sticks or things like that and i highly encourage you to never ever buy from any of these people um, they all charge way too much uh, if, if you speak french then again, it's easier. They don't try to haggle you so much, and you can you know barter with them, negotiate or whatever. Um, but if you just find a legitimate store that's not right in the middle of the Champs Elysees or somebody with a blanket and a bunch of mini Eiffel Towers sitting on it, you can get a much better deal anywhere else. Um, but I think that's kind of the same as where you go anywhere. Um, but again, ultimately, I think you know Paris is. There are so many things to do and so much going on 
that I like to separate it into you know, the culture uh, with the people, the food, and then the places. So again, the monuments and the touristy places are all awesome to see. And I think it's very important to go uh, climb the steps of the Sucre-Cœur of the Basilica and then just look over the city and you can see so many things and just the, the skyline. It, it, it stretches for tons of kilometers away you can see and it's, br it's a beautiful view. Um, you know, see the Eiffel Tower, look at the gardens of Versailles and you know, check out all of the beauty. These buildings, these things have been there longer than the United States has been an established country. You know, and I think that's something people tend to forget. When, when we think of history in the U.S., we think of Colonial Williamsburg, which is the 1700s. You know, but some of these buildings have been there much longer than that. You know, you can go to the catacombs and see where the dead people live. And it's just, it's crazy how different life is. And there's really no way to fully explain it other than being there and seeing it. And I, I just, I highly encourage everybody to go even if it's for a weekend, to make that trip out and see Paris at least once in your life. Um, learn some French. The people are some of the nicest you'll ever meet. I went to the Apple store, and I only had one adapter for my phone, so I could plug in my phone, but I had my laptop and my phone, and I had an iPad. So three things and only one adapter. And I asked him if I could buy just the plug portion. And he's like, oh, no, we don't sell it. Hold on. And he went in the back and just gave me one. Didn't charge me, just handed it to me. You know, and, and it was just awesome. He was so incredibly friendly to me. You know, and again, that, thing, that, that coincides with being able to understand one another and speak the language. It's, it's just like anywhere. People are people. You respect them, they respect you. You be polite, you be nice, and they'll be nice right back. Uh, don't shout at people, don't yell at them, and don't expect them to speak English to you. And I think you'll get along just fine. Um, I, I do remember when I was outside the Triomphe, there was uh, an American couple, I could t easily tell by their accent, and they were asking people how to get to this shopping center. And people were just ignoring them. And you know, they were like, uh, excuse me, how do I get here? Excuse me, how do I get here? And people were just snubbing them, just pretending that they didn't exist. And uh, I knew where this shopping center was that they were going because it was literally attached to my hotel at the time. So I just walked over, I'm like, you guys are trying to get here? Here, I'll tell you how to go. There's, uh, that's where I'm headed. You're going to take this subway. You go here, you go here, you go here. You know, just help people out. And, uh, you know, again, it, everybody's going to have a different experience. But for me, it was it was brilliant. I had some of the greatest memories of my life there. Uh, just being able to, to experience it and talk to people. Um, having amazing coffee, great food, and the best desserts I've ever had in my life are all within one city. And, you know, it's something where there's something going on at all times. Early in the morning, grab a coffee. Late at night, get a coffee. You can get drinks. It's, it's just truly, for me, the greatest city in the world. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast this week. As always, you can always get additional information as well as keep track of my blog at www.mechzalbi.com. That's M-E-C-Z-A-R-B-I dot com. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever else you like to get your podcasts. Once again, thanks for listening.